And not only do the patients benefit, but all the staff benefit because they're able to have another person, another modality to pull from when they're just like, gosh, I don't know what else to do, which of course as acupuncturists, we hear that all the time. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I found this in the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Sonder, it's a noun. The realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. An epic story that continues invisibly around you like an anthill sprawling deep underground with elaborate passageways to thousands of other lives that you'll never know existed, in which you might appear only once as an extra sipping coffee in the background, as a blur of traffic passing by on the highway, as a lighted window at dusk. Medicine is a strange livelihood. We spend a precious few moments with our patients. In the slipstream of our patients' lives, we are but one of countless moments. Hopefully, It's an encounter that brings with it a positive impact. Hopefully, it's at least as memorable as a good meal. It can be hard to know the influence we have compared to the politics of the workplace, the demands of family life, the constant human enterprise of sorting, comparing, and judging our experience. As humans, we are constantly looking to create a sense of meaning out of the puzzle pieces of our lives. Sometimes I'm not sure it's fair to ask a few pins to shift the orbit of someone's life. There are times it does, and dramatically at that, and we usually pat ourselves on the back when that occurs, but but perhaps more often the trajectory our patients have been traveling, it simply shifts a bit. It might be something that they barely notice, or they chalk it up to a change from a new supplement or medication, maybe the intervention of another practitioner, or their new internet-approved diet, or new pair of shoes. We like to imbibe the satisfaction that comes from feeling like our work matters. And at the same time, it's helpful to remember that all parts of a person's life can contain the seeds for healing and change. I suspect most profound healing comes when patients find something in themselves that creates a deeper sense of coherence and ease. The time they spend with us is one of the countless moments. Our lives orbit around our clinical work, but our patients... Their lives intersect but briefly with ours. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love 
was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Robin Curtis, welcome to Geological. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm Delighted to have you. I got an introduction to you from uh, a friend of mine who's been on the podcast before, Stacy Wickham. And uh, she said, oh, you need to talk to Robin. I said, great. What should I talk to Robin about? And she said, hospice work. And I thought, oh, yeah. It seems like such a perfect combination for the work we do. And yet I don't hear about that many people doing hospice work with acupuncture. Yes. Many, many people contact me and ask how they can get into hospice work with acupuncture. Um, There are many people who want to. The hardest part at this point is having funding and having uh, sort of integration with allopathic medicine and having them be open-minded enough to allow us to be part of their patient group. So it is amazing. It is an incredible combination to have acupuncture completely, you know, integrated with a care team 
end of life. It's a privilege. It's been a wild past nearly seven years I've worked for this hospice. My goal is to sort of, you know, not only focus on the amazing parts of my day to day, but also to be able to talk about that. So I'm excited to be able to be on this podcast. I've done a couple of conferences where I talk about what does this actually look like in a care setting? How can we work with other practitioners and modalities um, and be truly integrated and be able to provide care in this setting? So I'm sort of painting that picture so that it seems realistic and doable. Wonderful. This is this is exactly the kind of stuff that I wanted to discuss. But before we get into that, how did you meander your way into hospice work? What took you in there? I was approached by someone um, who said, hey, did you know that there's an opening? There was an acupuncturist before me who did all the legwork. I completely fell into this. Like, it's magical, and I'm so grateful, um, and I'm grateful every day for that. But there's a, an acupuncturist up here who, who said, I, I'd like to volunteer, um, and asked them if she could volunteer. And they said yes. And then eventually they said, wow, this is pretty good. Our patients really like this. Do you think you could do a little more? She said, yeah. And so she sort of, you know, kept going more and more. And eventually they said, well, can we pay you? <laughs> and then it was, yes, will you work more? <laughs> and so, and eventually they said, we want you full time. And she said, you know, that never was my intention. So she sort of bowed out and I got to step into an established full-time salaried position um, at this hospice with full benefits. And that's unheard of. I would love for someone to contact me if they have the same thing because I, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and I've yet to find someone who has that exact setup. And that should be the norm, I think. So I think it's amazing. And all of my coworkers think it's amazing as well. They love having an acupuncturist on the team. What do they love about having someone like you? Like, what do they love about having an acupuncturist there? What do you bring? First of all, it makes them look cool to all the other hospices. <laughs> but, um, but also for the patients, you know, they have this sort of unique tool in their tool belt now where they say, you know what, gosh, all these medications really aren't working for their nausea. Hey, Robin, can you go in and help? Or man, this person is really struggling um, to have bowel movements with all these opioids. Robin, can you go in and help? And well, making people poop is apparently my specialty and my calling in life. But <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing if you need to poop. Yeah, when I was a kid, I didn't know that's what it would be my, my special talent, but <laughs> we all have our gifts. <laughs> so, um, so the nurses and the doctors and everyone, you know, the physicians get to have this um, sort of secret weapon, you know, is how they kind of look at it. And for difficult patients too, where they aren't willing to take medications or they have extreme anxiety or, you know, the family says, well, we want them alert. We don't want you to snow them. Or, you know, I can work with both. You know, I, I also make a point to say that I'm sort of that uh, foot in each world. I think it's important for us to have a foot in each world to understand you know, where other modalities are coming from as well. And to know that medication is there for a reason. And uh, man, acupuncture is pretty amazing too. And we get to either supplement what they have, or we get to treat them because they don't want medication. And so then we, they have a, another option. 
What have you learned about the conventional medicine world? I mean, you work so closely with it. What have you learned about it in your time there that's been a surprise to you? I guess I am surprised at how many people don't want to take medication. And granted, I live in Northwest Washington. We're pretty crunchy up here. But, uh, you know, a lot of people have already, you know, had acupuncture. They have experienced it. I also get to be the liaison between, you know, the medical professionals who many people distrust. And I get to come in and say, hey, this RN is actually fantastic. She has your best interests at heart. I'd, I'd take her advice uh, openly. Being able to sort of help dispel myths about uh, medications and also say, well, I can also empower them to say, no, I don't want that and say, that's okay. You have the right to die however you want to die. (laughs) That is your right. We're going to keep you as comfortable as possible while honoring your wishes. And that's what's pretty amazing with this team I work with is that we really try to you know, you have to think about, this is what I think is best for the patient. Man, I, I can't believe how many times, oh, well, I can't believe because that's how it is everywhere, but how many people don't want to necessarily go with what we think would be the best. <laughs> Everyone's got their own idea, right? Absolutely. And that's their right. So we just have to meet them where they are. Having acupuncture is um, a pretty great thing for them to be able to pull as well and say, Uh, Robin, this person, you know, they need this, this, and this, they aren't willing to do it. Um, And I'll say, well, let me work with them. And, you know, let's see what we can do while still honoring those, those requests. It's really wonderful that you've got this toolbox of things that allows people to, like, live their dying in the way that they would like to. Yeah. And studies have shown that the majority of people would prefer to die at home surrounded by family. That is the ultimate, you know, we don't want to die in a crisis in a hospital or something. We'd prefer to be surrounded by loved ones and to be comfortable in a setting that we feel uh, relaxed in. That's what's probably the most amazing is we really get to say, you know, what is it that will make you happy? And we will bend over backwards to achieve those goals for you. Yeah. Wonderful. So you walked into this job. What were you doing prior to that? Were you looking for work in hospice? Were you being sort of your common garden acupuncturist? What were you up to before this opportunity sort of snagged you? Right after I graduated from Bastyr in 2009, I worked on cruise ships for two years, got a heck of a lot of experience right off the bat then really wanted to slow things down. (laughs) That's not something that I was going to be able to do sustainably. um, And I really wanted to do things my way. So I came back home and uh, opened a community clinic. And I had that running for about one year um, before this position opened up with hospice. And it was really hard to let go of my clinic that I've been building and loving. It was your baby. But I just kind of knew that hospice was my dream job. And I was thrilled to be able to go into it. And I have not looked back since. It's been a great ride. You had interest in hospice and and death and dying prior to working in your community clinic and building that? A bit. I I had worked a fair amount with Alzheimer's and dementia patients when I was younger and and going through school. uh, And my grandpa had had Alzheimer's. Being able to work with uh, elderly has always been 
uh, fun for me. We all, again, we all have our strengths. And I know that, for example, I have zero patience for children. <laughs> <So> <laughs> people look at me and say, oh, hospice. And they have this sort of pitiful look on their face. And I say, no, no, no. Like, that's how I go like, oh, you're a teacher. Good for you. Like, I couldn't do that. <laughs> we need we need people like you. But with hospice, it's um, we cry all the time. Like, that's that's okay. My boss, when I first started, said, if you stop crying is when it's time to look for a new job. I said, good, because, oh, man. Yeah. man, I'm a crier. So being able to be present with people sometimes is really sad, or the families, um, and it's okay to feel that. It's okay to feel the feels. And equally, I laugh all the time. There's so much humor in people all the time. I mean, just incredibly amazing families. We get to see really horrible and sad things, but we also get to see the best in humanity and we get to see the most beautiful things and people coming together um, and helping. And it's not always family. Sometimes it's friends. You get the whole spectrum. There's some really hard stuff and some stuff that makes it completely worth it. Whole spectrum really describes that I've, uh, I've not worked in a hospice. I've been present you know, around the passing of certain family members, it seems like there's this great door, this great gate that opens up. It's palpable. And as far as the emotional system is concerned, I'm just speaking for myself, it's like it's been turned on and amped up. It's like way higher. The highs are higher, the lows are lower. Everything is is brought into what was flat now has incredible relief and topography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. There's a lot going on when you walk in a patient's room. You know, I can see how that can be nourishing, but I can see how that could also be depleting. How do you keep yourself sort of together, body, mind, and soul as you go through these days? You know, sometimes I need to just, uh, you know, I'm in my car a lot because I'm going to people's homes, um, which in itself is a, a beautiful and amazing thing. We have people come into the office, you, we're used to that, and you you get what they tell you about themselves. When you go into their home, <laughs> you see everything. They can't hide anything. You really see a huge picture of who they are. Um, and that's pretty amazing. Um, so I'm going to people's homes and in between stops, I either will, you know, play music or listen to a podcast or have an audio book going. And sometimes I just shut it off and I have some silence and I just need to pause and just my, my car is sort of my little, I don't know, my little hideaway, I guess. <laughs> that's my safe place. I can go and just take a few minutes. I'm so grateful, um, actually to be able to do that. I'm not just running from one room to the next. I have a built-in pause button, uh, in between each, each patient. And that I think makes a huge difference for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see how that would be helpful and to have some space between each one and just a, you know, a whole change of view and venue. Coming back to how you make a hospice work, it sounds like you know a lot at this point about what's involved, how we work in an integrative setting, uh, that there needs to be funding. I mean, there's all kinds of aspects that I suspect you are quite aware of that, you know, a person running a regular acupuncture office or a community clinic, we would have no idea because we don't really interface with other systems. We're just kind of doing our own thing. 
It's a different setup. I do have to do things like attend what we call IDG or interdisciplinary group meetings. Um, those take up a lot of time. Um, but you go through all the patients um, and just kind of, you know, what do they need? What are what's changing? The social worker's there. The nurses are there. The director is there. The physician is there. Bereavement is there. I mean, you have everyone there and we all sort of give our input. That's huge. Um, and I think that, you know, for those that are able to work for hospice, I'd say almost every single person I've spoken to has been um, a contracted position and usually part-time and they aren't invited to those meetings. And that I think is crucial because we're able to see each other as equals. I will say that, you know, from the start, I have made it very clear that I want to be part of the team. I will not step on toes and they don't step on mine. All of my referrals come from the nurse or the social worker or someone saying, hey, we have acupuncture. Would you like that? And the patient says, oh, yeah. Um, sometimes they have to talk them into it a little, <laughs> but I try and win them over quickly. So I am given a referral um, by the team member. So obviously their role is crucial in that. They're the gatekeeper. You know, we have mutual respect uh, for each other. I treat my coworkers. They are very respectful of uh, what I do. And I always, you know, make sure they know they can call me and ask questions. Um, and then I'm also respectful of what they do. And maybe someone's on a huge amount of medication and in quote unquote, the real world, you know, we might be like, oof, that's a lot of medication. Um, or the patient will say, ah, that's a lot of medication. I don't want to get addicted. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you have probably two weeks left to live. What's going to keep you comfortable? And what do we need to work on to, you know, make sure that you are comfortable and sometimes saying, you know what, you're in a lot of pain or you're struggling breathing, maybe a little bit of this medication would be okay. And sort of working hand in hand with that. So it's, it's a give and take, and it's a relationship, I think with the coworkers so that they feel that I am part of the team and I truly feel like I'm part of the team. And that is, I think, different than most integrative settings. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. So I, I don't work in an integrative setting. I just have my own private clinic. If I'm following you here, 
a lot of acupuncturists in integrative settings are kind of on the outside. They're not completely in with the group. They just come in and kind of do a thing, but they're, they're still kind of separate, separate and not equal. And you're like completely in it. I, I am up to my elbows in it. <laughs> um, so what I do think is the difference in being able to do that is um, reimbursement. So hopefully coming down the pike is being able to be reimbursed by Medicare or Medicaid. Um, there are some, you know, little fingers of hope in various subsections of Medicare or Medicaid. And, and I am not fully up on that. I break out in hives when we talk insurance. So hospice is very much dependent on Medicare and Medicaid. I happen to work for a nonprofit hospice. It used to be that they were all nonprofit, and now the tables have turned and we're getting more for-profit hospices. That's interesting. Yeah. It's a big business. It can be a good business, but one hopes that they do it well and do it right. <laughs> so more are for-profit, but because I'm for a nonprofit, we have an incredible board that raises money for hospice, and they have decided that comfort care is important enough to have provided for their patients. So that's where I came in. They actually decided to completely fund my position um, from their foundation. Do you know what it was that they were cottoning to about acupuncture that made them say, we're going to fully fund this thing? I think it was the acupuncturist who was there before me, who I would love to say her name, but I'm not sure if she wants me to or not, so I just won't. Um, but she, you know, really worked uh, hard to show just by doing how well this works. So she demonstrated the value of acupuncture. Absolutely. People really noticed it. Absolutely. Yep. And they said, this is indispensable. Uh, we'd like more of it. So that's when they said, all right, full-time position, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Are, are you involved in helping other hospices? Do people reach out to you in terms of figuring out how to create programs or get funding or build these kinds of services into their integrative systems? Yeah, I do have people reach out um, and, you know, I answer the questions the best I can. I wish I could say that I did all the legwork in building this program. And I truly, I just sort of stepped into it. It will be easier once Medicare and Medicaid will reimburse for us. Uh, that is key. It's why I think they're holding back on, you know, even like my local hospital and things like that, because where's the money going to come from? Who's going to, who's going to say that that is uh, worthy, if you will. So I'm trying really hard to just sort of uh, be the example and prove my worth, if you will. I talk to just about anyone who will listen around me and, you know, about how well that uh, acupuncture has been working in the hospice setting. You know, I spoke at the Washington State Hospice and Palliative Care Conference this past fall. And this coming November, I'll be speaking at the National Hospice and Palliative Care Conference. And I'm pretty stoked about that, a little nervous. I wanted to be able to, you know, really share all of this there is an acupuncturist hospice group uh, read, led by Tori Black, and you can actually be certified in that. We've sort of chatted a little bit as well. And she's like, yes, go talk, go talk about it to these other hospice groups um, from around the nation and say, aren't you jealous? <laughs> Maybe 
maybe you could have acupuncture too. First of all, I, I, I talked to Tori Black some years ago on, on a previous podcast I had, Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. We talked some about hospice work. Um, she's been very instrumental in a lot of it here in the United States. And I hear you say, well, you didn't create this. You were just lucky you fell into it. I get it. That's true. And it sounds like still you, you understand more than a small amount of what it takes to make something like this work. It sounds like you've got some clarity on what the pieces are. So a main piece is the funding and where that's coming from. You happen to work for a nonprofit. They do a good job of raising money. Is that, is that usually from donations or where they, where they get their money? Can you talk about yeah, that? Donations, various fundraisers. Um, our hospice foundation is pretty big. They're pretty involved. Um, they raise a huge amount of money and they're, they're amazing. I, I don't know. Our community is exceptionally phenomenal. I'd like to just say that, that they, you know, raise a huge amount of money. And they also, we have so many volunteers and a big part of hospice is that they are required um, by, I guess, Medicare or Medicaid to have a certain number of volunteer hours. I want to say it's like 10% or something like that. And I think our hospice has 25% of hours provided to patients are volunteer. What do you think makes your particular hospice so good at raising money? I mean, I suspect that there's, there's other, or, or maybe you also could look at some of the super profitable for-profits as well. Is there, is there something that these groups are doing that really connects with people so that they've got funds to do this work? Um, you know, the hospice board is pretty, like it's made up of community members who volunteer their time to put on events and things like that. And I'd say that I'm not super involved in the board part of it. A lot of that, honestly, that's a tough question, um, is that we have a really pretty tight community. There are some longstanding locals that just, you know, I joke with people, if we talk long enough, we're probably cousins. Uh, it's really before you go on a date with anyone, you make sure of your lineage. Um, so we have a pretty tight community. And I think that's a big part of it is pretty much everyone knows someone who has been on our hospice service. Uh, also, we happen to only have one hospice in my whole county because there hasn't been really demand or need for another one. So there is just us. And we do try and just really be uh, the best we can, provide the best care that we're able to. I'm curious to know what you're going to be talking about at this national conference. Well, I'm curious to know what the angle is that you're looking to approach, if, if you have a sense of it at this point. We're talking here at the end of August in 2019. So, you know, you, you may not even have prepared this yet, and I'm curious to know what you want to speak to the national group about. What I'd like to talk about is basically painting the picture for them to see how they could have an acupuncturist in their program, in their hospice program. How would that fit? What would that look like? Wink, wink, aren't you jealous? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but to show, look at how well this works. I'm able to stand up here and say, this works. It really, really works. And not only do the patients benefit, but all the staff benefit because they're able to have another person, another modality to pull from when they're just like, gosh, I don't know what else to do, which of course is acupuncturists. We hear that all the time. It's like, well, I've tried everything. I suppose I'll try you out. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, uh, I hear it several times a week. I think we all do. Right? 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's our blessing and our burden. But um, but I love actually those uh, cases because then we get to go in and wow them. You know, I want to paint the picture of what is it that that could look like for their program? What does that look like for the patients and how maybe they could incorporate this into their team approach to treating the patients? Yeah, love that team piece. You know, of course, these days, everything is about evidence-based medicine, especially in the conventional community. What kind of evidence are you showing them to demonstrate that acupuncture totally rocks the boat? Um, Well, I, you know, try and find studies here and there that look impressive. I'm still trying to sort of pick a few studies that I could um, include in my presentation in November. Um, So that's, I don't necessarily enjoy finding the thing I think will make the biggest (laughs) impression. I just am also going to sort of give some stories of things that, you know, are relatable for them. Like, I know you've all had a patient who dot, 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 here's how I approach that. And here is the, the result. So you can tell them wonderful stories about how acupuncture is helpful where other things haven't been so useful. Absolutely. So many things. Like one of the things that we deal with a lot on hospice, of course, is herpes zoster. So many shingles cases. And Western medicine isn't great at that. So, you know, here's how I can help with that post-herpatic neuralgia that you've had, you know, for the past eight months, you know, and then after one visit, they're like, huh, pain's gone. And the medical director's left scratching her head <laughs> and says, that's amazing. It, it is yeah. amazing. And, and I love hearing you say the medical director gets left scratching their head. I I suspect you saw this in your community clinic. I think the listeners have probably had this. You do something that is supposedly, I'm using air quotes here, impossible. And the patient goes back to their regular doctor and says, my XYZ is gone. And, and instead of going like, seriously, what? Tell me, I want to learn about this. They just go, uh. Right. I will say that again, you know, I'm super grateful that I get to work with the physicians that I do who are very open-minded and very much, they want studies, they want this, and they are so open-minded about acupuncture and they just completely refer all the time and are very grateful that, that there's an acupuncturist in the team. So I work with incredible physicians too. So that helps. (laughs) Is it honest to say that when these physicians that you're working with see things that it like it doesn't make sense, I, I can't understand how or why this would be better, but I see that it is. Rather than trying to understand it, they just they recognize it and they go, wow, that works. And let me give you some more difficult cases. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that kind of how it works? Yeah. I mean, sometimes they do ask, you know, a, a little more about it or they'll, you know, send me an article and say, what do you think about this? I read this or I heard this. And what do you think about that? And I appreciate them being able to be open enough to ask questions and really sit back and learn. They, they want to hear what I have to say. And I know that isn't always the case. I wish it were more of the case, but it is important. Um, so, yeah. I want to shift this just a little bit. I mean, I'd love talking about, you know, sort of the framework that you're working within. But I'm also curious to know what you're doing when, you know, when you're in there, when you're doing the work. Are there any particular methods that you use? Are there any particular approaches that you tend to lean on in the work that you do? Mm-hmm. It was a, a steep learning curve, <laughs> if you will. 
I didn't know where to look or what to learn uh, when I first got this job and I just sort of winged it. There are a few different things that, you know, sometimes I work with the homeless community on a, a project uh, every once in a while and, and I'm reminded how different it is to work on someone who's pretty vital and healthy in general um, versus someone at end of life. And that's not to say that sometimes I don't have very vital patients who maybe live a couple years, but there is a bit of a different approach. I will often try and think, you know, less is more. I'm not trying to overwhelm their body with 30 needle treatments or something. I also, you know, we have our things that we are trained and, you know, do an hour long interview or whatever. Well, someone at end of life is not going to have the energy to talk with you for a whole hour oftentimes. So I need to make it brief, succinct to the point. I walk in and say, hi, nice to meet you. We chat for a minute and I say, what are we going to work on today? And they might give me a whole slew of things or they might say, I don't know, what are you supposed to do with me? (laughs) So you know, I'll talk to them about what are we working on. You know, one thing that I have had to do is be very clear about what acupuncture can and can't do. Because sometimes they'll say, what would you like me to work on? They say, I want you to cure my cancer. Well, here's what I can do. We have that delicate talk. And also as an acupuncturist, sort of working with the concept of this patient is not going to get better. They're going to continue to decline no matter what I do. And that was a bit of a, an odd thing to sort of deal with is that I can help them with their symptoms. I can help them feel more vital. I can help them be comfortable. I can help them with so many things, but I'm never going to be like, well, you're good. Don't need to see you anymore. I will see the end result of this person's life despite my, or because of my efforts that I'm really working on putting out fires and just making them comfortable. And there's something to be said too. A lot of hospice workers will say someone is in pain or they've had a rough life and they're really struggling and they're, you know, just, you know, having maybe terminal agitation or they're just sort of fighting this tooth and nail. One of the things that the physicians say is once you get someone comfortable, often is when they will finally let go and they will finally die because they're able to relax. And if you're uncomfortable, you're focused on something um, and you're staying with that. So if you can get them to relax and be not in pain, often that's when they die. And I've actually had that happen to me a few times with needles. In. <laughs> so <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. and just as yeah. an aside, because I think it's beautiful and amazing, I have experienced this more than once where I happen to be working on the person and something changes and I take a step back and I've gone and held their feet. I don't know why someone had told me, well, a Buddhist nun who I'd worked on from Tibet, she said, my soul will leave through the top of my head. So be sure to needle there. So for her, I always did do 20. (laughs) And then with my other patients, when um, say they're um, not responsive, which is a whole nother topic. But if I've seen them and then the the family says, no, we still want you to work on them. We still want to make sure that they're relaxed and comfortable. Um, So I will work on people who are not responsive with the consent of their family. And I always do very simple, very gentle. Sometimes I don't even put a needle in. The first time I felt this, um, and we'll say the second time happened almost exactly the same. I did needle do 20 and Shen Men and Yin Tong. And this man had been actively dying for two weeks. I mean, it just, 
it just was ongoing. And the family was like, is there anything you can do to help him along? And I said, that's not really what we do. But (laughs) Um, so I placed those needles and I just wanted to let his daughters be with him and hold his hands. And I went to his feet for some reason. I just wanted to hold his feet and I had my palms to his kidney one. And something gave me goosebumps. The curtain moved and I felt a pulling like a vacuity happening and he took his last breath and it felt like and I felt this before he took his last breath before we knew he was gone it felt like when I was holding his feet like a wave being sucked back into the ocean it was a pulling sensation like it was going up and away from my hands at his feet and up towards his head and I couldn't help but think of that Tibetan nun and what she said via translation, I have felt that multiple times. They say that separation of yin and yang, I've never been feeling someone's pulse when that happens, but I have been touching them. And it is, there is something being pulled and it was beautiful and peaceful and they were calm and relaxed and they just took their last breath and it was gone. Acupuncture. (laughs) Acupuncture. Well, I so appreciate you sharing this with us that sense of, of, of being present and attentive and being drawn to put your hand somewhere, right? I mean, we're so often working with our heads, oh, you should do this, you should do that, here's what the theory says, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the moments where you're just there and you do what you're sort of guided toward. A lot of it is quite simple what I do. Sometimes I leave thinking, did I do much for this person? Um, And I think that a huge part of hospice work is just being present. Um, You know, I can put needles in here and there, but, uh, you know, there's, there's something to be said about placebo effect. And I think a lot of time it's not even about the needles so much as listening, being present. Sometimes I feel like I'm there for the family more than the patient. You know, they needed to hear something. Maybe the patient has stopped eating and they just don't know what to do with themselves. They just want to feed the person. Well, the body's shutting down. You you can't feed the person. But how about if you do some touch? Well, I'm scared to touch. Well, let's talk about that. Here are some pressure points for this. You can touch them in this way. It is totally comfortable. Unless they furrow their brows, they're probably enjoying it. So helping people have a tool. In hospice, we say that, you know, we treat of course, the patient, but the family is also who we're there for as well. It is a broad picture. We aren't just there for the patient. We're there for to supporting the family as well. I've had some patients who were the main caretaker and bringing people into my practice. And I found that I started treating them. I didn't charge them, but it's like, I'd look at this person who's the caregiver and it's like, you need more help than the person they that you just brought it. in. Yes. And everyone. so I figured treating the, treating the caregiver was part of treating the patient. Yes. They and just went I'm together not, like that. Right. I'm not allowed to treat anyone other than the patient on service with acupuncture. I am allowed to like give advice and, and talk with the family. I mean, I constantly am giving out cards of other local acupuncturists. We all kind of like to know each other. And I refer like crazy, a ton of family members to other acupuncturists. Yeah. Well, you used the the word placebo a few minutes ago, 
and then you went and described what you do. It does not sound like placebo to me. It sounds like what you're doing is facilitative work. Right. In a, in a big way. Listening. You are working with, you're working with, not with just with the person, you're working with the family, you're working with relationships, helping family members get over fears that they might be doing harm when actually they could be doing a lot of good. Absolutely. Yeah. The family members are are such a, an integral part of, you know, what the patient is going through um, and vice versa. And, you know, sometimes they get sort of left in the dust. It's really important to pay attention to them as well. Yeah. You know, you were also talking about how regardless of what you do, we know that the end result is that these people that you're working with will be passing soon. And it brings up for me how so often we think we are in the business of fixing people. Medicine kind of makes this promise that we're going to fix something. We're going to make something better. We're going to take something away that you don't want. We're going to give you something you don't have. And sometimes medicine is not about fixing. I mean, I, I, it seems like there's curing and then there's healing. Yes. And I always tell people, if someone says the word cure, run away. Because <laughs> we can't promise that to anyone you know, so just being able to make people feel heard and comfortable, you know, along with the physical things and the pain that might come with the end of life also is emotions. And we can't change someone's mind. We can't tell them what to feel, um, but we can try and help them process what they're feeling um, and just work with that. And, you know, I had one of the best lessons I ever had was when I first started working with hospice almost seven years ago, and I had this curmudgeon -y old man, and man, I love a good curmudgeon, but <laughs> <laughs> they're so much fun. <laughs> they're fun to sort of um, turn to. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I, I understand, yeah. Yeah, um, but I was being, you know, super friendly and perky and peppy, and he said, Robin, no one likes a cheerleader, and I kind of went, uh, oh, Okay. And I realized I was being this little bubbly ray of sunshine. And how annoying is that? If you're angry or you're grieving, what in the world was I thinking? So being able to uh, sort of take a step back and, and say like, you know what, that he was, that was a huge lesson for me. Oh, that was man, a, what a big great moment. lesson. Yeah. Yeah. What are some other things that you have learned about I was going to say death, we can start with that, and life. But, you know, life at the edge here. Life as it's transitioning away. What are some other things that you've learned from this experience of, of being having this great fortune to be where you are and doing the work that you do? Some things that maybe you believe now or notice now that you didn't notice five years ago or didn't even believe five years ago? Sure. We have a saying in hospice that you die the way you lived, you know, these really difficult, angry people often are going to be that amplified at the end of life and vice versa. And sometimes you get an outlier where you're like, wow, didn't see that coming. I thought sweet little Ethel was going to continue to be sweet, but she got pretty feisty. I guess personality is kind of interesting. It's, it's interesting to see how people uh, decide to be at the end of life. Also with the people who love them, you know, who is it that shows up? Is it family? Is it friends? Is it your neighbors? 
seeing who it is that shows up in your life uh, when things are really, truly tough and at the end. Um, And sometimes the answer is surprising. I see that a lot and I think about that a lot, about who it is that that is going to be with you. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Would you say it's more surprising than not surprising? I don't have kids and I don't plan to. Someone had said to me once, well, who's going to take care of you when you're old? <laughs> and I said, that's not a good enough reason to have kids. Right. I mean, look, look, I mean, look at all the family relationships that have all kinds of trouble on them. It's like, yeah, those kids are going to show up for their parents. No, no right? not and happening. They, and they don't, you know, and so I don't know if it's surprising or not, but it's just been interesting to witness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can think about some families and individuals that I've had the the great privilege to uh, be able to be involved with, you know, toward the end of life. And it, it, it often is surprising to see who shows up and, and who's completely absent. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it's just that people can't deal. They just can't deal with it. Um, they can't deal with seeing someone they love decline. It is sad. It's really hard, you know, and I try and be forgiving with people. There's a lot of high emotion. People react differently in crisis and people react differently when there's a lot of emotion going on. And there's definitely plenty of that. So. Yeah. For those of us that maybe have an interest in doing this kind of work, you know, again, you walked into a really sweet spot. It sounds like increasingly it's recognized that acupuncture is helpful in the hospice world. And your predecessor sounds like a, a, a bona fide bodhisattva to have gone into this situation and volunteer and build something out of what sounds like a, a desire to be of service. Go and show what you got, and oh my goodness, sometimes a job can arise. But for, for those who might want to be doing this work, have you got suggestions, ways to approach it, things to think about, or resources that they can connect to? I should have written down the correct acronym. I want to say it's N-A-H-P-C-O. Whatever it is, later we can put it on the show notes page. 
Okay, great. Um, and that's, you know, Tori Black uh, that we mentioned before um, has this, you know, you can be hospice certified. It's not required to work in a hospice, but it might be helpful if you're approaching someone to say, hey, I've, I've done a little bit of training in this. Demonstrate your uh, interest and, and uh, initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd probably want to reach out if you have any connection or contacts, use them. Otherwise, you're going to want to reach out to probably... Well, if there's a, a director or office manager is a good place to start, they're going to at least have, you know, uh, info for you. As far as how to practice, one thing that I've uh, learned is that you're not going to be able to access most of the body that you think you want to access. <laughs> so I can't even tell you the last time I stuck a needle in someone's back. I mean, people are in a hospital bed or they... Are, if they have oxygen on, you're not going to be doing cupping because they're probably too fragile and bruise easily. You're not going to be doing moxa because they have uh, oxygen going and COPD or, you know, some breathing problems. Um, you're probably not going to do gua sha. Uh, Tui na is going to be gentle. I've done electro a little bit because, you know, people have knee pain or something. And so I can use electro as long as they don't have pacemakers, which a lot of them do. <laughs> so, um, so just, you know, the approach is different. And I, I will say that I've gotten creative in how you can treat things without accessing what you initially thought was going to be the best way to treat them. Uh-huh. Give have, us an example. Um, so for example, I use mostly uh, distal treatment. So I did the the balance method, Dr. Tan's balance method class. That was a game changer, whether you, whatever it is you want to practice, any sort of distal treatment to learn is crucial. And that just, that changed everything because you, you're going to have to let go of being able to do back shoe points on someone. You're just not going to get it. Um, sometimes I can roll people over. Some people are still mobile. We have people who still want to go out to the casino and they're still, you know, vital for a while. Seriously, once we know they stop going to the casino is when we know they're declining. But <laughs> being able to be flexible uh, and let go of what you think you want to do and being able to just work on what you're able to access uh, has been that really changed the way I practice. And I see incredible results with distal treatment because of it. I suspect that anxiety is often a big part of the picture for lots of people. I know, I know that there's some research that's been done recently, like with psilocybin mushrooms, and they're finding that people that are you know, terminally ill, a therapeutic experience with psilocybin often helps reduce anxiety by a significant margin. I mean, they're, they're looking at it. I see your eyes lighting up as you say this. Do you know much about this, this research that they've been doing? Or do you know people that have been through this therapy? I do. Um, so there have been a handful of patients uh, who have done that actually, with incredible experiences and results. Also, one of our social workers who is just fabulous is going down and doing that training down in Berkeley, I believe. And I want to say it's like a year or two training, but where she would be able to help facilitate those types of, you know, experiences for patients. And it's not quite a mainstream enough to be able to do. And it's not, oh, not, quite, not yet. No, it's still pretty quite, fringe. Mm -hmm. Right. But, uh, but again, we're kind of on the fringe. We're pretty granola up here. So her being able to learn that and be involved in that has been pretty exciting. And she's, 
you know, going to be trained in it and then be able to bring what is legally available to do as soon as it is. And we're all pretty stoked about that because the things coming out, the studies, and and again, I've had a couple of patients do it, not necessarily legally, but, and not through hospice, just want to put that out there, but, <laughs> but that they have done that with someone and the experience seems to be pretty phenomenal and profound. Yeah. In terms of using acupuncture to help with anxiety, I mean, we know that acupuncture has a profound impact on a person's emotional life. Any treatments in particular, any methods, ways that you go about helping people deal with anxiety, especially toward the end of life here? Sure. So yin, tong, and shen men, kidney points, ground them, uh, tend to be my go-to, sometimes run 17. Honestly, one of the hardest things that I work on is um, breathing issues. And I really struggle with that. You know, so many COPD or pulmonary or asbestos or lung cancer, breathing issues, man, those are really hard. And what is almost entirely 100% of the time linked with that is anxiety because that's terrifying not to be able to breathe. So, you know, working on anxiety as secondary to being able to help them breathe. So uh, if you can help them breathe, their anxiety is going to go way down. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And if their anxiety goes down, then the breathing's better. And it's just a, right. They, They go hand in hand. Do you have any treatments in particular that you like to use to help with the breathing issues? Um, you know, of course, case by case, uh, I'm always going to do some lung points, you know, supporting lung, supporting kidney, um, making sure that there's not a lot of fluid going on. Um, that's another fun thing. You know, we think, oh, you have edema, let's do spleen nine and stomach 40 and, oh, wait, you're completely pitting edema swollen up to your groin. I'm not going to be needling, um, these points that then will leak fluid for hours afterwards. Um, so again, just trying to be creative, having to adjust if there's edema, if skin is intact even. I mean, right now I have a guy who has his entire right leg and part of his left foot amputated for gangrene. No distal points are going to be done there, you know, so what what can you do to help with his breathing? Um, I can't do kidney points. I can't do, you know, so it's really just this incredible trying to think on my feet and sometimes later going back and looking and saying, Okay, next visit, what should I do different? Or Are you up for a suggestion? Yes. Just something to, to noodle around on? Yes. Okay. So I've been recently studying the Sa'am acupuncture system. It's a Korean system. It, it also uses distal points, which is like super helpful. A lot of them are Jing wells and out toward the edges. I wouldn't say they're the funnest points in, our, in the toolbox, but they can be super effective. One of the ways to really help open up a person's chest and breathing is to tonify their pericardium channel on one side. So this is, this is like a five element transfer. You do liver one, tonification. So when I say tonification and sedation, the needle goes with the channel for tonification and against the channel for, for sedation. So you would tonify liver one. So it goes liver one in, you know, along the channel. And then you tonify pericardium nine, not fun, but very helpful. And there you would be doing the um, thumb side of the middle finger, right? Right there at the corner of the nail. Because that way you can get the, the needle to, to have a direction. So again, follow the channel to tonify that. And then you disperse 
you go against the channel on kidney 10 that turns off the water from the fire and you go against the channel on pericardium three four needles really helpful for anxiety in general but it, it can have a very nice effect on opening up the breathing again you know it, it's it's distal points so uh, that, that's kind of in your ballpark you know, a lot of people at this point have been poked and prodded and either they say, I'm done, I don't want any needles, or they say, eh, whatever, like it's just more needles. Um, sometimes they have neuropathy and so they can't feel it anyway. So yeah. <laughs> jing well them up. <laughs> I, I always like the neuropathy patients where they go, I felt that. It's like, oh, yes, good. exactly. You we go, would call welcome. that improvement, wouldn't we? Yep. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, is there... Uh, anything else that you would like to share with us before we wind this down for today? You know, for those that are interested, um, reach out to your local hospice. They may be, this isn't even in their spectrum of, you know, something they'd want to take on. But I think that um, especially in the next couple of years, hopefully we're going to have Medicare, Medicaid, you know, be reimbursing us, which makes me stressed out even thinking about the charting that's going to have to happen with that. (laughs) It'll change everything as far as needing to, you know, chart differently for, for me anyway, but reach out and, um, you know, maybe be willing to be a volunteer. They're going to have to train you. You have to go through a little bit of hoopla to be a, um, a volunteer, but just get your foot in the door and be able to say, Hey, I'd like to help. Um, with the idea that, you know, maybe, maybe this can catch on, um, and say, you know, you have massage therapists, almost every hospice has massage on the, right. On or healing docket. touch. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and just say, you know, I think that this would be helpful for X, Y, Z, be sure to mention, and I'm going to tell you what the things are that they're gonna be like, Oh, really? You can help with that pain. Of course, nausea, hiccups, hiccups are a big one that are actually really difficult, that a lot of people have because of, you know, liver issue or uh, distension or, you know, anyway, so hiccups are a big one. Constipation is probably, man, that one's just way up there because nearly everyone is on an opioid. And of course we know what that does. Oh, and anxiety. So kind of do what your predecessor did. Show up, be helpful, demonstrate that you can do things that would be of service to those patients and And also go in with an attitude, um, and this is my personal opinion, which should never be confused with fact, but (laughs) go in with an attitude of gratitude, you know, that, that I would be grateful for the opportunity to show you how well this can work for both the patients and to support the rest of your team. Be sure that, you know, we aren't going in poo-pooing Western medicine or saying that something is better than allopathic medicine. I am of the very strong opinion that integration is where it's at. And I think that we can work together. And I think that um, working together to support the patient is, is the highest goal. Put the ego aside. <laughs> Some of us have that. <laughs> and just know that, you know, what you're going to be doing is, is helping not just the patient, but the family and the team support uh, the patient and family the best that you can. Great. That sounds like wonderful advice and a good way to proceed. Robin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us here today. Really been delightful. Thank you. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, 
share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.